The following report is from Dr. Anna Maria Mielcia's recent article entitled, Hydrogel Platform Enables Versatile Data Encryption and Decryption. The building blocks of hydrogels are being found in the COVID vaccine, and hydrogels are being found in the blood of both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. They are the so-called blood clots that are being found around the world. And these hydrogels can now be programmed, encrypted, and decrypted. According to Mielcia, they are the substrate of the brain-computer interface and the primary method of fusing humans with machines, as she described by referencing MIT research in the article, Hydrogel Interfaces for Merging Humans and the Machines. Elements which Mielcia and Clifford Karnikom found with near-infrared spectroscopy in the blood of the unvaccinated exposed to shedding and environmental contamination include hydrogel plastics such as polyenes, vinyl, nylon, Kevlar, and spider silk proteins, as well as other nanotechnology signatures such as silicone and sulfur. This technology hijacks methyl groups, which are needed to detoxify and create glutathione in the body. Hydrogels used for the encrypted programmable technology include polyvinyl alcohol and polycaprolactone. Both of these hydrogels are listed as stealth nanoparticles in the Moderna patent for lipid nanoparticle composition. This suggests that not only those who received the shot have this hydrogel encryption technology in their bodies, but also those who have experienced shedding and environmental contamination, which is just about everyone. These hydrogels are known to be programmable and encrypted. This technology can behave as brain storage. It can store memories and visual information in an individual's brain, and it can be chemically induced to be securely encrypted and decrypted, allowing for the secure recording and storage of confidential visual information. This provides a platform for secure financial transactions, which is a requirement for a digital ID. MIT researchers have discussed how this very same technology can be used to fuse humans with machines. And while they've had problems working it out in the past, a recent paper has announced they found success using the very same elements found in both the blood of the vaccinated and unvaccinated by Mielcia and Karnikom. In a lecture by Professor Sakharat Kizroev at the University of Miami, it is discussed how advanced materials can be used for interfacing machines and the human brain. He references a research project funded by DARPA, wherein magnetic nanoparticles are key to this technology. Mielcia has published research that shows how the COVID shots alter torsion fields in the body and produce magnetism. A review by the RAND Corporation, Brain Computer Interfaces, U.S. Military Applications and Implications, discussed the convergence of human with machine. In an interview with Big Pharma whistleblower Karen Kingston, Kingston discusses this self-assembly nanotechnology and how the spike protein is an engineered device triggered by electromagnetic frequency and how the quantum dots are gene editing technology. This nanotechnology appears to be distributed via chemtrails, the food and water supply, medications, and in all of the scheduled vaccines for children. It has been found by multiple scientists in the blood of both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And the fact that this widespread technology is being ignored while the topic of mRNA is being pushed into the mainstream is of great concern. 
Mielcia has shown that the new protocols being sold to the public as a way of reversing the negative effect of the COVID shots have no effect on these hydrogels. And it would seem that well over a billion people are infected with them. While many are talking about an archaic implanted computer chip, it seems that the latest breakthrough technology has already been deployed without anyone's consent. The situation almost seems hopeless, but where there is a will, there is a way. And now is not the time to hide our head in the sand. The human body is miraculous, and our potential is endless. The more people addressing this dire situation, the better chances we have of finding a remedy. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Gunther in Tennessee. Thanks for calling, Gunther. Hey, Alex. First time caller. Real quick, wanted to plug your foundational energy. Uh, just started taking that. And, uh, boy, three pills, the uh, recommended dose. I was bouncing off the walls. But uh, I, I tell you, foundational is the right name for that product because I'll, I'll cut down to one. And, uh, it, it, it's like you have a baseline of energy that you were missing before that you got back. So, Well, I'm you glad you mentioned that because it's methylfolate, the breakdown of folic acid, and a lot of people, particularly Europeans, don't absorb all of the folic acid. So it's not a stimulant. It's a totally natural thing that boosts energy that's foundational. And, and was I lying to you or, or did it not work? No, it, it was top notch. And I was, I was actually taking Red Pill Plus before, and that's got a little folic acid in it. I think there was a little buildup from this, but the energy from this was no jitters. I mean, it's top notch. It's a great product. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, folic acid's great and it's in real Red Pill, but some can't Absolutely. break it down. This is the breakdown of it. That's exactly it. The American Journal with Chase Geyser. A testament to America's resilience and resolve. Roseanne Barr had an epic rant on the Alex Jones Show. I think it was like the first two weeks that I worked here. It would have been the very beginning of July of 2023. And I cut up that rant and put this song in the background of it. I think it got over a million views on Instagram. It just blew up. She is really a remarkable, remarkable woman. You know, it's interesting, too, because I was talking to one of my close friends about the Roseanne show, the original one, not the reboot that they fired her from and all that drama. But we were talking about the original Roseanne show with the classic, iconic intro of the camera sort of panning around the dining room table and the family sort of arguing over. They, I think it even had RC Cola in it, you know, because that was the poor man's soda and they were eating pizza and stuff. It's such a great intro. But that was one of the first sitcoms that sort of portrayed the American family as a real family. I mean, it was a dysfunctional family. They loved each other unconditionally. They were loyal to each other unconditionally. So they were intact. They were healthy in that sense. Their values aligned. But it was a dysfunctional family. I mean, every episode is a, a major crisis, right? One of the early episodes of that show is the the father. Is it, is it John Goodman? Is that his name? Forgive me. Yeah. John Goodman is sort of having a midlife crisis, and he wants to enter this songwriting competition and Roseanne's really encouraging him to do it because the song is really good that he wrote, but he's shy about it because he hasn't played music in so long. And it's, it's just so wholesome, yet 
real and raw, the struggle. And it's, it's funny that this show sort of comes out in the context of the 80s and 90s when we were coming out of the Cold War and we were coming out of this rapid inflation. And there were a lot of blue-collar families, just as there are now, that were really struggling at that time, particularly in manufacturing because we were outsourcing it all to China and basically just evaporating all those jobs in the United States. And I think people forgot what that was like for like 20 years, maybe until the housing crisis of 2008. But things were really getting better from 2012, basically until 2020. And there is a generation of people, namely my generation, the millennial generation, that for the first time is experiencing what it's like when things aren't good. So I graduated from high school in 2010. Obviously, that was sort of right after the major economic crash, but I was dependent on my parents at the time, 18-year-old kid. And I know that my dad was feeling stressed out with, with business and work and things like that because the, the damage to the economy was so all-encompassing that it was virtually impossible not to feel. But my dad was really good at sort of keeping that stuff away from the family. I'm sure that he and my mom talked about it, but I never felt uncomfortable or worried or presented with my dad's concerns as a child, which is one of the things I appreciate about him. And I go to college, and by the time I graduate from college, it's 2014. And that's when things really started to get better again, economically speaking. I know Barack Obama was a, a terrible president, but he basically started in a terrible economic environment. So there was nowhere to go but up. And I would report that the economic improvements that happened during the Obama administration happened despite the Obama administration. And then, of course, Donald Trump gets elected in 2016, and I literally started my small business, my advertising business, four weeks after Donald Trump was inaugurated. And my business, all the way through the pandemic, every month was better than the month before. And it wasn't until the end of the pandemic when the Biden administration set in that I really began to feel the weight of how bad things are economically in this country. And I noticed it when I was in Eagle Pass when we drove down there. I mean, this, this town is dilapidated. It's basically falling apart. Frankly, it's just shabby. And I noticed it all over Austin, Texas. And Austin is, is it's, it's, a, it's a blue city, but it, it's not like San Francisco because San Francisco has the disadvantage of being a blue city in a very blue state. Austin is a blue city in a red state, so it has the economic benefits of more prudent, sort of responsible decisions at the state level. So I was at the gas station this morning, right before I came in, and I'm looking around at the, the people in line, and their clothes were just like tat literally tattered, and they weren't homeless people. These were just working-class people picking up a Gatorade before they go to whatever job site they're going to, just regular sort of contractors. 
and there's there's holes in their clothes and their shoes are ripping away from the soles. And it was like, almost like looking at a photograph from the Great Depression where you see people just in, in hand me down after hand me down. And it reminded me of my grandmother who grew up in the Dust Bowl during the Great Depression. And she told me a few stories. She was very sort of modest about it. She was a very classy lady, very elegant. And she was a very talented pianist. And so she gave me piano lessons growing up every Sunday, and she would tell me stories now and then. And I remember she told me she was only allowed to wear shoes on Sunday to church because they were so poor that they couldn't afford to wear their shoes during the week because they, if they wore them out, that, that would be it. They'd be shot. And she remembers the dust and how just sort of barren everything was and the struggle. And we're starting to see the remnants of that manifest in the United States of America today. And there are a number of different factors that are contributing to it. It's a hyper-complicated economic situation. We're a very complicated nation in a very complicated and ever-increasingly complicated world. But it's very clear that this Biden administration and the intelligence community and the bureaucrats in our federal government seem to have no incentive to solve any of our problems. You hear people criticize China and Russia for things like, oh, Russia, wow, they're doing so terrible. They are literally just throwing bodies into the meat grinder. Or, oh, China, they're doing so terribly. They're going to have a major depopulation crisis. And those things are true. But as Americans, we tend to commit the fallacy of assuming that every other nation has the same political dynamic as we do in the United States. In that we assume that just because traditionally, it isn't this way anymore, but traditionally there has been some sort of accountability between the people in the United States of America and the politicians. Traditionally, our politicians though they were corrupt and they would lie to us, did really genuinely fight hard to earn the support of the people. Because after all, they were, at least for some time, empowered based off of elections, especially Congress. But in China and in Russia, it doesn't matter what the people think at all because they're not constitutional republics, they're not democracies. I mean, you got to keep in mind that during the Great Leap Forward between 1958 and 62, estimates from 50 to 100 million people died of starvation, and there is still a cult of personality around Chairman Mao. They still love him, despite the fact that everybody is related to somebody who starved to death due to his leadership and his decisions. That's how bad the cognitive dissonance is there. And the same was true for a long time in the USSR, of course, before the collapse. And the point I'm trying to make is, we are now crossing a threshold in the United States where not only does it not matter what the people think about our politicians because there's no accountability, but our politicians have 
now realize this and weaponize this. So you go back just 10 years to the Obama administration, for example, and at least Barack Obama would very seriously try to successfully lie to cover his tracks, successfully cover things up, successfully lie about things like being able to keep your doctor and the nature of the Affordable Care Act. And the Bush administration would at least try to lie. Bill Clinton would at least try to lie. I smoked pot, but I did not inhale. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There was some sort of fear of the people among our political class just 10 or 20 or 30 years ago that vaporized in the last five years or so to the point where we have the Karine Jean-Pierre's and the Jen Psaki's going up and blatantly lying on behalf of the Biden administration where we have court documents explicitly stating that Joe Biden's faculties are diminished where we have one political candidate being prosecuted aggressively for harboring so-called classified information in their home and another one being let off the hook for having classified information in their garage where the Hunter Bidens walk around where the Fannie Willis's can admit to committing campaign finance fraud or violations and we don't know if she's ever actually going to be held accountable in any real way maybe I doubt she'll go to prison and when was the last time you saw a politician go to prison I guess Anthony Weiner and so my concern here is that we've got a situation in which our politicians realize that they're not accountable to us and we're beginning to realize it. So how do we fix it? And I think the reason that our political class is able to maintain its power despite the people is because they still have very close to a monopoly on information. This is what I was talking about in the very first segment of the show this morning they're they're winning or have been up until this point winning the info war on that front and so it's more important now than ever that we get involved in any way that we can but speaking of the info war there is a little bit of an update on elon musk that is sort of interesting i don't want to fall into the trap of elon worship it's easy to do because he's such an impressive guy and he really did something remarkable with purchasing Twitter that has directly impacted InfoWars in a positive way, but also just sort of saved freedom of speech on the internet, at least for the time being. But Matt Taibbi is a, a journalist whom I admire. He wrote a, a really good book about the corruption of the mainstream media called Hate Inc., I believe. And he was, of course, involved in writing some of the famous Twitter files that came out very shortly after Musk took over at Twitter, now X. Quote, you are dead to me. Twitter files journalist Matt Taibbi posts unhinged messages from Elon Musk. And I saw this last night, like three in the morning. I was like, what is going on? I had no idea that there was beef between Musk or Twitter and Substack. But check this out. Journalist Matt Taibbi posted screenshots of unhinged, unhinged messages he received from billionaire Twitter owner Elon Musk. Days after Taibbi accused Musk of restricting his account, the former Musk ally posted these screenshots from a conversation the two had had nearly a year prior. Quote, since at Elon Musk published parts of these conversations, I might as well include others. 
according to Taibbi on Thursday. I was under a blanket search ban at one point, and a lot of my 1.9 million followers still don't see my content. Of course, I saw this content. <laughs> In the messages dated April of 2023, Taibbi could be seen asking Musk whether he was being shadow banned following Musk's crackdown on Substack, which Taibbi writes for. So Taibbi was really pushing his Substack because that's how he makes his money, to people being able to contribute to his Substack, which is like a Patreon of, of for journalists, right? You write articles, people subscribe to support the work that you do. And I believe, I don't know what the number is, but I believe Taibbi has traditionally made a substantial amount of money on that platform because he's a very talented journalist. Quote, we went on lockdown after discovering that Substack had stolen a massive amount of our data to pre-populate their Twitter ripoff, replied Musk. Looks like there is still a blanket search ban should be fixed by tomorrow. He added, going forward, tweets with Substack will not appear in for you unless it is paid advertising just like Facebook, Instagram, etc. So Substack basically set itself up as a competitor, stole data from Twitter in order to support that competitor. And that's why Musk began treating it like a competitor, shutting it down, not favoring those, those links. Taibi questioned Elon I've repeatedly declined to criticize you and have nothing to do with your beef with Substack. Is there a reason why I'm being put in the middle of things? This really seems crazy. And Musk simply replied, you are dead to me. Please get off Twitter and just stay on Substack. So it seems like there's more going on here than meets the eye. And typically I don't like to read the entirety of any article on air. But I am going to finish this one just because I want to cover all the details. Prior to their falling out, Taibbi was seen as a close ally of Musk, of course, because of the Twitter files. And was described by House Delegate Stacey Plaskett as one of Elon Musk's public scribes during a hearing in March of 2023. Their relationship deteriorated just weeks later after Substack, a website Taibbi writes for, announced the launch of a Twitter rival. Musk retaliated by blocking all links to Substack, which prompted Taibbi to announce his departure from Musk's platform. Taibbi criticized Musk and several other... Twitter posts on Thursday calling the social network worse than ever. Quote, supposed free speech champion Elon Musk has decided to suppress this account forever instead of just talking to me, protested Taibbi. And Elon Musk is uncomfortable around people who aren't afraid of him and wants to prove he can hurt my business instead of just talking to me, even if it means suppressing access to news he thinks is important. So it sounds pretty bitter. But what doesn't makes sense to me is why did Elon Musk just spontaneously say you are dead to me to Taibbi there's there's something missing here in this chain of communication that doesn't really make sense it makes sense to me that Musk would be combative and antagonistic towards Substack for stealing Twitter data in order to support its competitor to Twitter I understand why he would block the links to Substack articles and things like that. that makes perfect sense to me. That's just a business decision. But why is it that seemingly out of nowhere in that exchange, Musk literally just said, you are dead to me, to Taibbi. But the fact that he's coming after him saying that he's not really a free speech advocate because of the Substack decision that he's making, just a, it just doesn't add up. It's, this is just so bitter and weird. It's reminiscent of the interactions many of us had with friends and family over the sort of political disparity and division that's in this country right now. So in the context of the free speech information war that's going on domestically, it is continuing to, being, continuing to be waged overseas as well. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is notorious for suppressing the press, for arresting journalists. This is something that is a criticism of him that I believe is true. 
The only issue I take with those who criticize Putin for this is that they disregard the fact that those who they support here domestically basically do the same exact thing. We'll dive into that a little bit. But Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies in jail. This happened apparently just within the last 24 hours. I started seeing articles about it very early this morning before the sun was up. And... I don't know what to think of this. So it's, it's possible, if not likely, that Putin did actually call for the death of this journalist. We know that it's very likely that he was responsible for the plane crash of the plane harboring the man who led the Wagner group and had ostensibly staged a coup. So it's not unimaginable that this was simply a political assassination. But it's also interesting to me that this happened immediately after all of this news here in the United States of these space nukes. We have Jake Sullivan coming out saying that there's a major national security threat that's imminent, where we have calls for Congress to immediately declassify the information so that the United States and its allies, particularly NATO allies, can discuss what to do in response to this so-called threat of space nukes, space nukes that, of course, would violate the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 and potentially justify legally in the international stage a NATO war with Russia. And within 24 hours, Navalny dies. This guy's been in prison in Russia for a couple of years, I think since 2021, three years. He's just a political opponent. And I wonder if this classified information this is just my speculation. I could be way off base on this. And we'll open up a, an X space uh, the rest of the show after, after this segment. We can talk about it. But I wonder if Navalny was in any way responsible for information being leaked or given to the United States that was used yesterday as sort of a pretext or a catalyst for this, this global war. But it's just very bizarre to me that this assassination happens immediately after this major news break. So Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in a maximum security prison in the country's far north. The Interfax News Service reported Friday, citing the Federal Penitentiary Service. 47-year-old Navalny, a major critic of President Vladimir Putin, vanished in December from a prison in the Vladimir region. They relocated him a bunch. He later emerged in an Arctic prison camp and... Disappeared again. Then on February 16, 2024, in penal colony number three. Man, that sounds so Soviet. Convict A.A. A. Navalny felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness. In fact, said, citing the country's prison service. Apparently, he died of a stroke. That's what they're saying. Though he's not very old and was apparently in good health very recently. Navalny's death leaves any opposition to Putin in question. All of Putin's top adversaries are now either deceased, imprisoned, or living in exile. Navalny was undoubtedly the biggest thorn in the Kremlin side. For over a decade, he led nationwide protests against the authorities, ran for office to challenge members of the Russian establishment, and set up a network of campaign offices across the country that have since been dismantled. Years ago, President Biden did issue a threat to President Putin, saying that there would be major consequences if Navalny was killed. And obviously, this is a terrible thing. I think it's likely that this was a political assassination. It's possible that we did it to frame them, but I doubt it. I think that this is a political assassination. It's a very politically tumultuous time 
just globally right now. But to suggest that this gives the United States any sort of moral high ground is utterly misguided. I mean, let's just keep in mind some of the treatment that the United States government has bestowed upon similar political dissidents, protesters, journalists, and others. Keep in mind, Edward Snowden exercised every legal possibility to be a whistleblower regarding the espionage of the American people under the guise of the Patriot Act that was blatantly illegal, blatantly a violation of the Fourth Amendment. And he had to seek asylum in Moscow, of all places. Look what happened to Julian Assange. Look at the obvious assassination or murder of Jeffrey Epstein. Look at all of the J6 protesters who are spending decades in prison as if we are better, folks. It's absolutely crazy to make that claim. What do you think of this? <laughs> Yeah, did you see the simulated combat on TV? Yeah, I watched it. A bunch of rich gladiators that could care less about me. Did you see it? Yeah, I'm empty too. Yeah, I did. I fill my head with faction figures that don't matter instead of learning the political system and standing up for myself. Again, I'm not saying sports are bad in of themselves if you're involved in it, but not when it's your whole focus. It's always the same. They're like androids. It's, they have like a little fake conversations. So what do you think of the playoffs? What do you think of the weather? Oh, yeah. And you start bringing up, I don't know, uh, what do you think of uh, the surveillance grid going in? Have you heard about how they're listening to all of us without warrants? They're like, well, gee, buddy, what you bringing that up for? It's kind of weird. Well, it is weird they're doing it. It's very dangerous. Well, I don't care. I'm not involved in politics. I don't have to worry about that, Mac. Oh, really? They're putting the grid in place to rob you. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. Hello, Americans. I want to share with you a story, a story about inflammation, the silent menace that lurks within our bodies, affecting our health and well-being. Inflammation, the root cause of countless ailments, quietly wreaking havoc over time. Long-term exposure to inflammation has been linked to a myriad of health issues, from heart disease to arthritis, even cognitive decline. But fear not, for there's a beacon of hope found in the wisdom of nature. A remedy that has stood the test of time, turmeric. Recent studies have uncovered the extraordinary health benefits of curcuminoids, the active compounds in turmeric. And now I present to you Baudis from InfoWarsStore.com, a powerful blend crafted with precision, boasting 95% curcuminoids extracted from turmeric. But it doesn't stop there. Baudis incorporates a symphony of ingredients meticulously chosen to enhance the absorption of curcuminoids, ensuring your body reaps the full benefit. First on the stage, organic black pepper extract, Nature's Enhancer. It contains piperine, which studies suggest can boost curcumin absorption by up to 2,000%. A remarkable duo, working hand-in-hand -hand to maximize the benefits of turmeric. The final crescendo, Baudis's core, 95% curcuminoids extracted from turmeric. Once absorbed, curcuminoids unleash their anti-inflammatory magic, targeting the very pathways that fuel chronic inflammation. It's not just a supplement, it's a natural force working with your body to restore balance. You see, it's not just about what you take, 
It's about what your body can absorb. Now let me throw it over to a man who needs no introduction, Alex Jones. Body's ultimate turmeric formula is back in stock. I want to explain something. It's turmeric concentrate. It's 95% curcuminoid. We went to the top lab and said, what's the strongest you put out? They said like 87%. Most companies put out raw turmeric, it's 5%, 4%. This is 95% curcuminoid, okay? So this is like, I guess the example's like, instead of eating, you have to eat like, you have 10 of those other pills just to get what is in one of these. It's good for your heart, your brain, everything. It is 40% off, back in stock, Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, InfoWarsStore.com. Bodies, an ally in the battle against inflammation. Visit InfoWarsStore.com now and seize the opportunity to take control of your health. Now you know the rest of the story. Until next time, good day. Good day, good day, good day, good day. This is the American Journal, where Chase Geyser brings America's stories to the forefront. Folks, I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We've got an hour and a half left of the show. We just fired up a space on X. Go to at InfoWars on X and join the space that way. You can also go to my profile on X at Real Chase Geyser, and you should be able to tap on my profile picture and join the space that way. We're going to let it populate over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, and then at the top of the hour, we will start giving speakers access to share their thoughts, share their mind. And if the... Listeners in the space uh, are not in the mood to speak at the top of the hour. We may actually take some old school traditional calls. That could be fun too to give our landline audience, our cell phone audience a chance to uh, participate again in the show. We should not forget about those who are responsible for the reason we were able to stay in business over the course of the several years that we were deplatformed from every major social media platform until X allowed us back on last Ball. So there is some new news that is supposed to be coming in today. Trump's civil fraud trial verdict is, is expected today. A verdict is expected Friday, which today, in Donald Trump's New York civil fraud trial, adding to a consequential week for the former president's legal calendar. So he could be hit, I guess, in this instance, with millions of dollars in penalties and other sanctions in the decision by Judge Arthur Engeron, our favorite supervillain. He's already ruled that the former president inflated his wealth on financial statements that were given to banks, insurers, and others to make deals and secure loans. So he's set to rule after it's been now two and a half months of testimony from 40 witnesses. And the closing arguments were on January 11th. So we should be hearing something from him today. They've estimated that Trump exaggerated his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion, which probably isn't true and it's kind of moot even if it is true because i don't even believe the lenders are the plaintiffs here I mean, he paid back the loans as i understand it state lawyers contend that trump used the inflated numbers to get lower insurance premiums and favorable loan terms saving at least 168 million dollars on interest alone 
So Angeron's going to decide six claims in James' lawsuit, including allegations of conspiracy, falsifying business records, and insurance fraud. State lawyers allege that Trump exaggerated his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion. So we know that they already made the decision before they issued this sort of prosecution. We know that this is an example of lawfare. We know that there weren't actually any harmed parties in this so-called feud or dispute. No one's complaining. They're, they're literally just trying to dig anything up possible that they can use to weaken him financially, that they can use to slander him and berate him and, and just make his followers look like idiots in the mainstream media. Anything they can do to render it less likely that he becomes the president of the United States again in 2025, of course, when he's inaugurated, 2024, he'll be elected. And the level of just conflicts of interest and hypocrisy, you have the left constantly calling for Supreme Court justices to recuse themselves from these cases. And then you have them supporting Engeron, despite the fact that before this trial even began, his wife was just bragging all over social media that Trump was dead meat, basically. And then you have the likes of these lawfare sort of pawns in the globalist agenda claiming that Donald Trump is the fraudster, that Donald Trump is the criminal, the liar, the con man, and disregarding the fact that Joe Biden is obviously missing very important cognitive faculties, despite the fact that we know the Biden crime family is just that, a Biden crime family. There's abundance, an abundant amount of evidence and financial records to show that there was a money laundering scheme going on in Ukraine and other parts of the world through Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca, that Joe Biden was directly receiving kickback from and that this money laundering scheme did involve businesses that were receiving government contracts. And they say that Donald Trump is responsible for quid pro quo because of a perfect phone call that he had with Zelensky. And we just showed the clip on the screen of Joe Biden literally bragging about quid pro quo when he threatened to withhold U.S. foreign aid illegally from Ukraine unless they fire the prosecutor that was investigating Burisma and others in Ukraine that Hunter Biden was in business with. And then you have them coming after Trump, trying to say he's a criminal, trying to indict him, trying to lock him up for literally hundreds of years while Fannie Willis sits on the stand and just explicitly admits that she has committed campaign finance violations, actually stolen money, similar to the way that Black Lives Matter was stealing money for its leaders, just pocketing the donations, just pocketing the money, not actually doing anything they said they were going to do. Absolute corruption. And there is very obviously a disproportionate application of the law. And it's very one-sided. They go after you if you are on the wrong political side. And they don't call foul when it's somebody from their side. It's as simple as that. And now we're seeing other things sort of creep into play. These moves made to weaken the likes of X and Elon Musk where we have SpaceX now reincorporating, I believe, in, in Texas because of some issues that they're having in Delaware, the laws that are changing and they're just trying to come after them. We have examples of the government declining or denying subsidies that Musk's companies were entitled to, tax subsidies, things like that. And we have examples of 
campaigns that seem to be very well coordinated by organizations, NGOs, very closely in cahoots with and working with the government. These campaigns to get all of the major advertisers, the Disney's, the major Hollywood studios, the other major businesses to just suddenly pull all of their advertising from acts in an effort to cripple the business. I think it failed, but it was close. It definitely was painful for them. And so while we are imprisoned, while we are taxed and audited and prosecuted and harassed with lawfare and threats, and while we are accused of being domestic terrorists and held responsible for the actions of every transgender lunatic who commits a mass shooting, which is happening more and more frequently, they are literally funding the death of hundreds of thousands of people in wars in Ukraine, in wars between Israel and Hamas, and now the United States and Iraq, and the United States and Iran through its proxies that we've attacked and bombed. And so they commit genocide, and they literally give standing ovations to Nazis, but right-wing extremism is the greatest threat to national security until yesterday. And it's some classified Russian threat now that happens to be a very convenient manifestation for anyone, any nation, any organization, any globalist entity that is eager to go to war with Russia. So they can bring us into World War III. They can steal all of our tax dollars and give it to other nations while 10,000 people a day cross our border illegally. And they can just basically screw us every way to Sunday. And then they can make up that we're the ones doing what they are actually doing and prosecute and imprison us for it. There will be a reckoning because any time in history when there has been an injustice to this extent where a people are prosecuted simply for what they believe or who they are for an extended period of time in an incredibly unfair way. Eventually, those people say, that's enough. I'm done. I'm not going to be victimized anymore. And I just hope that when that day comes, we keep our heads, folks, because there is going to be a great temptation for us to exact a vengeance on this political class, the likes of which the world has never seen. Make sure you go to InfoWarsStore.com. Check out Bodies, which is 40% off. It's an amazing product. Highly recommend that you look at the details and see how it could help you. I also recommend TurboForce Plus and BrainForce Ultra. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. Well, well, nitric oxide is a key. It's made by our own bodies again. It's made by L-citrulline and, and L-arginine, the amino acids. So we're fed. You can, you can get it from beet powder and other things. The nitric oxide relaxes the endothelium, the vasculature. It relaxes the vein. It's a natural blood pressure. In fact, I use the two, your InfoWars. I keep that on my shelf. And I feed myself the Cardio Miracle, which is just for straight food. It's a different formulation than that one and the two together are a one-two punch so you get in your food the ability to make what you need and no more that was dr judy mikovitz 
top research scientist, without me even asking her, telling everybody how incredible this product is. And it's finally back in stock. Nitric Boost is 40% off at InfoWarsStore.com. And it doesn't just have the vasodilation opening up your arteries and your veins to clean things out. It does so many incredible things. God gave us this compound. So many of the big things you see out there promoted in the media are based on the natural ingredients that are already in this product. So get your amazing Nitric Boost today at InfoWarsTour.com. You need to experience the health, the vitality, the stamina, the libido, everything that comes with Nitric Boost. You've looked at our formula, you, you like it? I did and I do, yes. Well, I, I'm not a scientist like you. What is What do these compounds do creating nitrous oxide? What does it do? Um, it relaxes the vasculature. So the clot will go through and not restrict. It allows it to relax. It lowers the blood pressure, has the uh, toxic um, synthetic lipid nanoparticles similar to the one in the COVID shot. Prior to the COVID shot, the deadliest vaccine, we saw athletes dropping dead on the field, um, passing out, falling down, all the things. Yeah, why is it particularly the athletes? Um, because they operate at oxygen max um, capacity max. They're, they're operating at such a high level in their mitochondria. This is an energy production, oxygen um, necessary disease. Um, so they create, they, that's what they're finding. They turbocharge the blood clots. Yep. And ischemia, lack of oxygen. Mm. So constricted blood vessels too, because athletes are running, they're constricted, they're they're working so that the blood flows and it doesn't flow, which is why your nitric oxide um, product, that new products, I hope you'll show it because that's a very important thing to have for acute events, be, uh, dissolve under the tongue, give you an instant relaxing of your endothelium, your vasculature. Nitric Boost, exclusively available, 40% off right now in stock, ready to ship nitric boost infowarstore.com try it support the infowar it's a 360 win the enemies of humanity have been very good at dividing and conquering us but if we simply start thinking about things according to the definition of is it pro-human or is it anti-human, we start to win. And that's why I had the idea for Team Humanity. I brought it up to Elon Musk. He loved the idea. What would you call the debate and discussion about a pro-human future? Just Team Humanity? Yeah, Team Humanity. Absolutely. And so we have the t-shirt. Team Humanity with a nuclear family standing against the globalist. This shirt is a great conversation starter, but it also is a fundraiser to keep InfoWars on the air so we can promote and support Team humanity i want to thank you all for your past support but i want to encourage you all now to understand that this is a revolution against the globalists and it is so critical now to signal the fact that you are part of team humanity we're told humans are the problem we're told we're killing the earth we're told all this garbage so we hate ourselves and stand down and roll over and die we're not going to do that get your team humanity shirts now at infowarsstore.com and i thank you all for your support Folks, I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We have fired up the space on X. So make sure you go to at Real Chase Geyser or at InfoWars. Join the space and request to speak if you'd like to be a speaker. The crew is going to help out with moderating this X space. We are trying to establish some 
standard operating procedures so that we can sort of streamline what the experience is like for the hosts as well as the audience when we do use X spaces. And so today, rather than me actually clicking on people and making them speakers and muting people and, and managing that, I'm going to focus just on the conversation and the crew is going to be helping out. And we're going to try that to see if we can sort of get into a rhythm here with how we're going to do this on an ongoing basis moving forward. I do want to just take a moment to thank the audience for being patient with us for the last several weeks as we've been experimenting with this sort of new way to engage with the audience. I know that the traditional calls have been sort of a hallmark or a staple in the InfoWars brand, and we're not going to eliminate call-ins or anything like that. So for those of you who prefer to call, please don't be alarmed. But we really like to broadcast on the spaces because when we broadcast on the spaces and people request to speak and we make them speakers, then their followers see that they are speaking in the space with InfoWars or with Harrison or with Alex Jones. And it creates a ripple effect or a snowball effect or a domino effect that can help increase the size of the Info Army and the InfoWar like we've been talking about. So that's one of the reasons why we really love that. And plus, there are a lot of sort of influencer accounts, major accounts that are much more inclined to spontaneously join and speak in a space than perhaps they are to call in and wait on hold to be picked. So that's one of the other advantages as well. But we will continue to take calls. We will continue to do spaces both and highly recommend that you, if you haven't already, follow at InfoWars, follow me at Real Chase Geyser, follow at Real Alex Jones, follow Owen Schroyer 76 or The War Room or Harrison Smith and just make sure that we're in your feed on these platforms and do what you can to share anything that we say that resonates with you uh, so that we can win this info war. So there's a couple more things on the desk that I want to talk about. And as always, it's overwhelming to just see all of the details and in intricacies of the, the New World Order agenda, which is so well documented every day in, in the headlines. And it's funny because I was in an X space last night and we were just talking about InfoWars and Alex Jones, things like that. And it came up, you know, Alex Jones was always, is always right. Or Alex Jones was right. And, you know, a lot of people, he, he's an American icon. So a lot of people sort of fall into what you fall into with any American icon. I mean, if you have a poster of Jim Morrison up in your room when you're in high school because you, you idolize him as a rock star, he's an American icon or Elvis or Marilyn Monroe, what have you. Alex sort of fits into that category for the politically awakened crowd. But it's not any sort of, you know, Nostradamus level prophecy. It's not any sort of magical or supernatural powers that have been bestowed upon him that he wields to predict what's going to happen months or years in advance with alarming accuracy and detail. It's just that he actually reads the documents. And one of the things I said in the space, which I want to share with this audience today is it's like the, it's like the Bible. Everybody's got a copy, but hardly anyone ever reads it or has read it because frankly, people think that the Bible's boring and some parts of it, frankly, are boring. It's the word of God, but you know, it's a little dry to read Leviticus sometimes. And that's the way these documents are. Nobody wants to sit and watch hours of C-SPAN. Nobody wants to sit and watch these globalists give speeches at Davos. I mean, even Joe Biden has been caught on camera falling asleep at these globalist events, 
conferences that he's forced to go to by his handlers for no reason. And nobody wants to read through thousands upon thousands of pages of documents as they're released to try to put together what the heck is going on. But Alex Jones actually has put in the time to study these documents over the course of the last 10, 20, 30 years. First, it was in the local library and other sort of more traditional old school resources. And then, of course, on the Internet, we have access to all this information. And when you actually consume this information that for some reason no one seems to take the initiative to consume, you are basically acquiring for yourself pieces to the puzzle of what is really going on. And once you get enough pieces, even if you don't have them all, you can begin to perceive what the puzzle is, what the image is, what the picture is. And so you can make predictions. Oh, this thing's over here, and this is, this is what's in the upper left-hand corner, and this was in the lower right. You can begin to make predictions and point things out that nobody else has noticed because they just frankly don't have the same pieces that you got. And so when I'm looking at these headlines, these are all different pieces and you have to interpret them correctly in order to understand, but they're all just little clues as to what this agenda for this globalism is. Here's one example. California bill could pave way for free tuition for black students, obviously a violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. If you're giving somebody tax dollars for their education disproportionately because of their immutable characteristics, it seems to be blatantly racist. And so what we see here is the sowing of division among races. We see here the pushing of the belief that one race is owed something by another race because of the sins of that race's ancestors and not even all those ancestors. And what we have here is this white guilt among white people and this sort of bitterness for white people among any people of color in this country and is catalyzed by policies like this but the politicians do it even though it's unhealthy for the nation because politically it's very conducive to their success because they're able to spin it like they are righting a wrong or establishing justice or fixing an injustice. And so they repeatedly sell out the country. They divide us against each other and they use that to fuel their political power perpetually. And it doesn't just stop there because... They don't have to spend any of their own money on these initiatives. That's going to be state money. And when they spend their state money on initiatives like this, many of these politicians, whether it's the governor, whether it's the state legislatures, whether it's members of our federal Congress, are invested in the contractors and businesses and companies and entities that provide the services or products that are paid for in, the, in these services. So, for example, and this is, just, this is just a hypothetical example, but in the event that California decides to pay for every textbook for any person of color, and we know that the textbooks are printed and sold by private companies, some of them publicly traded perhaps, then our politicians can simply invest in those companies either privately or on the public market, they can pass the law to ensure that those companies make an increased amount of money because of this policy. These textbooks are going to be purchased. They can even encourage these companies to raise the prices of their products so that the margins are even better. And that is the laundering of tax dollars into political pockets through corruption. And what you realize is 
the more a government spends, the more its politicians get kickback. So there's no incentive among our political class to actually stop or slow or stall or reverse the spending because that's going to have a negative impact on their bottom line through all of the money laundering and sort of insider trading that they're doing. Both the right and the left. This is not a one-sided issue. This is a uniparty issue. And then when you realize that that is what's happening, it begins to make sense why the United States is constantly spending billions and billions and billions of dollars overseas instead of domestically, where, of course, they could be audited domestically. It would be more obvious what they were doing domestically. There's more resources for investigations domestically. They spend it overseas, and the foreign countries love it because we're giving them all this money, but we're giving them this money to spend on products and services that our companies, American companies, provide, those companies, of course, being companies that our politicians are invested in. So, yeah, we're loaning $95 billion to Ukraine. What are they going to spend it on? Well, they're going to spend it on weapons and training and ammunition and supplies provided by U.S. companies in large and other European companies in large that the European politicians are invested in, that our politicians are invested in, and that is how... Our politicians get kicked back by selling out the American people. And they somehow justified it in their mind by, you know, claiming to themselves that it's some sort of moral war between some obviously good and pure and some obviously evil and corrupt entity when both of them are frankly corrupt. And so every politician in the world now, because of the way that this money laundering scheme works, has an incentive to come together and work together to exacerbate this problem, the spending, the selling out of their various constituents. And that is how globalism is manifest. More on the other side, folks. Stick with us. Victor in Florida, thank you for holding. Go ahead. I have to say, it really pisses me off to hear when you say that only 2% of the people that listen to this broadcast buy products. Um, I'm a young man. I don't make that much money. I just bought a house. I just got married. But I buy the products as much as I can. I buy them almost every month. I've bought the iodine, the beets, the methylfolate. I've just tried it. It's absurd to me that you people are listening to this guy. I've listened to you for 10 years. He puts this show out here for free, and you're not supporting him. Our country is falling apart, but you've got millions of people listening to you not doing Excuse my friends. Well, look, look, there's a glut of media. There's so much media. I'm not blaming the 99%. It's 99% that never buy anything. It's just these are really good products, and if we just had 1% more by the products, it would change the whole world. So these are really great products to begin with. We have the best turmeric out there, 95% humanoid, incredible anti-inflammation, so good for your whole body. We have all the other great products at InfoWarsTore.com. We have next-level foundational energy with the methylfolate and the B-complex that supercharges cellular energy. So it's not a stimulant, but it feels like a stimulant. Let me ask you, what happened when you took next-level foundational energy? <laughs> I've been taking it for, I don't know, a couple weeks now, and in my younger days, I've experimented with stimulants and those things. It feels nothing like that. You feel like you're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to to have energy, you know, and, it, and it, that's pretty much it. It doesn't feel like a stimulant. You just feel like you're supposed to. And what it does is it's the it's the breakdown of folic acid that almost everybody, but particularly some people, Northern Europeans, have, have a low breakdown of. So you just give your cells the direct food that they operate off of and they clean out with. That's why Next Level Foundational Energy is so important. Thank you for the call, Victor, and thanks for the plug. 